Right, so I thought what, what we'll do tonight is a, a bit of revision and we'll do a kind of a complete overview of salvation. And you can take these away with you. I think we did something very similar to this many, many, many years ago here. <clears throat> but it's kind of, um, it, it's a way of, of getting a complete overview of what it means, what, what did Jesus do on the cross. And obviously I'm just going to be, you know, sort of skipping it over pretty quickly. But obviously you can take these away and, and build on it quite, quite easily. Now if you, if you start off with it, that side the great divide right <clears throat> <clears throat> and basically what this is showing is what happened when Jesus died on the cross now you'll remember because Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God sin came into the world and the situation like before Jesus died on the cross uh, you see that you've got mankind so Adam sinned and, and as a result of that everyone who has ever been born since with the exception of Jesus himself has been born under the power of sin and you'll see that the problem was you've got mankind and you've got God and there's this barrier that no one can get through and it's a fourfold barrier the first barrier is that everyone is in slavery to the sin nature. We're born in sin. Sin is our condition. There's nothing we can do to change that. Now, the fact that you're sinful means you can't have fellowship with God. So there's a barrier. Okay. The second barrier is personal sins. Because we're sinful, we commit sins. Now, all you've got to do is commit one sin and, and, and that's it. You can't have fellowship with God because God is perfect in holiness. He's perfect in righteousness. So the fact that any has sinned, let alone being sinful, means that that's a barrier you can't get over. And then the next barrier was the penalty of sin because God is just. Obviously, wrongdoing brings a punishment in it. And the punishment was that the soul that sins, it shall die. And that what God made it clear to Adam, he said, look, if you, if you disobey me, then what's going to happen is that you're going to die spiritually, okay? And as a result of dying spiritually, eventually you're going to die physically as well. And that means that because the wages of sin is death, that in eternity, because human beings can never cease to exist, we're created in the image of God. And part of his image is that God is eternal. Now that means that God has no beginning and no end. Now obviously we have a beginning because there was the time when he created us. Right? But we will not have an ending. So we reflect that aspect of God's nature. Human beings do not cease to exist when they die. There's just a different, different state. And the penalty of sin is that you're separated from God throughout eternity. And then there's fourthly what I call Adam's sin. Because remember God said that you'll die spiritually and as a result of that die physically. And what the spiritual death means is that man's spirit is dead. Remember we're kind of threefold. We are what are called souls. You know, so, so when the Bible talks about a soul... When we talk about like an old lady being a dear old soul, all right? So when the Bible talks about the soul, that's us. 
Vincey is his soul, Robert is his soul. The soul is the person, it's you inside the body. And with our souls, we experience each other. We have a body, and with the body, we experience the outside world, okay? But we have a spirit. And it's through our spirit we experience the spirit world because remember the material universe is only half of the universe. There's the material universe but before God created the universe there were still angels and now some of them are demons and obviously there's God himself. And it's through the spirit that we experience that realm. And the problem was that because Adam sinned his spirit died within him. He wasn't, it wasn't anymore alive to God. And the tragedy is that our spirits are still alive to the devil, but not to God. Okay. And so everyone who is born, their spirit is not functional towards God. It's functional towards evil. It's functional towards the devil, to spiritual experiences that aren't of God. But everyone is born with a dead human spirit. And so you've got those three, th those four things, and each one is like you know a fifty-foot fence, and you can't get over any one of them, let alone all four of them. And so what happened was that when Jesus died on the cross, basically what he did, he removed each one of these barriers. Now the slavery to the sin nature, the way that he dealt that, the Bible calls this redemption and ransom. And what happened was, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price so that everyone could be set free from the slave market of sin. But the point is, it's only those who actually believe who get out of the slave market. So the point is, the ransom is paid for everyone. But it's only people who believe in Jesus and come out the slave market of sin who are actually redeemed. And then with personal sins, it's what the Bible calls atonement and imputation. Atonement means to cover. So because of the death of Jesus, his blood is wiped clean our sins. So that the sins of the world were covered and taken care of when Jesus died. An imputation is that when someone believes in Jesus, then what happens is that God credits Jesus' righteousness to the person because remember Jesus took their sinfulness on the cross. And then you've got the penalty of sin, expiation and propitiation. Expiation, this is Jesus paying the penalty for the sin of the world. We don't understand how it worked. But apparently God, without in any way uh, compromising his justice, was able to place the penalty, the punishment that we all deserved on Jesus. So the innocent suffered for the guilty. We don't know how that works, but we know that that's what happened. Jesus took our punishment in our place. And that's what the Bible calls um, expiation. And propitiation means to appease someone. You know, like like the, the god. You know, the gods are angry, so we appease the gods, and the volcano doesn't blow up. That's how it works in 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 paganism. But in regards to God, what it means is because Jesus lived a perfect life, he was completely sinless. Because he lived that sinless life, therefore he he satisfied God's demands for righteousness. So Jesus took, as it were, our sin on himself, but 
he kind of lived the perfect life in our place and his perfection satisfied God's righteous demands and then the way that this dead spirit Adam's sin is overcome that the moment someone believes in Jesus the Holy Spirit brings them their human spirit back to life again that's what the Bible calls being born again so what happened was that the Holy Spirit enables our spirit to be alive again and then suddenly we can be in fellowship with God and believe in Jesus and so what you see here there's these, these four electric fences as I've called them and when Jesus died on the cross he demolished each one of the four things okay and of course the situation is now that because Jesus demolished this barrier when he died then the point is the barrier is actually gone the barrier between mankind and God is no longer sin Jesus demolished that barrier he stands there in its place and the way it works now is that Jesus stands there in place of that barrier as in John 10 verse 7 he said I am the door of the sheep and so therefore if anyone believes in him they pass through Jesus as it were and then they're in fellowship with God so the point is Jesus took that barrier away and he stands there where the barrier once was so now the reason that people aren't in fellowship with God isn't because of their sin because remember Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Jesus died he dealt with the sin of the world so what separates people from God now isn't their sin it's the fact they don't believe in Jesus anyone who believes in Jesus is forgiven and therefore they're in fellowship with God but if people will not believe in Jesus then they are separated from God as if that barrier was still there can you see the point and so therefore all anyone needs to do for salvation <clears throat> is as it were believing in Jesus and walking through him as the open door into salvation and so therefore the outcome for those that believe is that they're safe from the coming judgment that one day everyone is going to stand before God well all those who believe in Jesus they'll stand before him only to be welcomed into heaven and into his presence but those who die having not believed in him then they will be cast out into the lake of fire and so the situation you've got before Jesus died you have mankind separated from God by the sin barrier those four electric fences but when Jesus died on the cross he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world therefore the sin barrier is gone that's why Jesus died it ain't there anymore but it doesn't mean that everyone is automatically in fellowship with God because Jesus stands there where once the barrier was so therefore it's believing in Jesus that brings us into fellowship with God and if people don't then they're as lost as if the sin barrier was still there so the situation before Jesus uh, before Jesus died mankind separated from God by sin after Jesus died mankind separated from God by Jesus 
But if you believe in Jesus, you're in fellowship with God because Jesus is God become man. And so therefore, this is why salvation is by faith. We simply receive from him the free gift that, the, that he has earned for us. And John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And it's because, as I say, Jesus <coughs> died to remove the sin barrier. And Paul elsewhere, he says that, that in him, that he was made to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that was the swap. Jesus became sin and did away with it, so that we could have his righteousness in place of our sinfulness. So that's the great divide. Used to be sin, now it's Jesus. Okay. So believing in Jesus is the way to salvation. Now if you turn over and go on to the other side. <coughs> and uh, just uh, have a, a look at this from a, <coughs> a bit of a different angle. And if you... Um, if you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14 and it reads this Paul says but we ought always to thank God for you brothers loved by the Lord because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the spirit and through belief in the gospel he called you to this through our gospel so that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to see there in that verse is that it gives us three aspects of what this salvation is <coughs> that Jesus has given to us. Because we're created to live in time and time is linear. We're moving from the past into the future. Now, one day that will change. It wasn't always so. Uh, time came into being with the uh, creation of the physical universe, and uh, so Einstein did get that right because that's what Genesis says. So Einstein was right there. And eventually, when we're in eternity, there won't be any more time. But whilst we're existing in the physical universe, as it's constituted now, we are existing in a space-time continuum. So we're moving from the past via the present into the future. And in this verse, it brings out that past, present and future aspects of salvation. So Paul says, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved. Now, you see, that's a past, that's a done deal, that's something that happened, okay, in the past. And we're going to move on to see that that's what the Bible calls justification. And we're going to see that's our past salvation. But then he says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, this is something that was ongoing in their lives then. And this is the present tense of salvation. And we're going to see that that's what the Bible called cause sanctification but then we're going to see now there's a future aspect because Paul goes on he says he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and this is something that's going to happen in the future so this is the future aspect of our salvation and as we're going to see it's what the Bible calls 
glorification. So, when it comes to salvation, there's past salvation, present salvation, and future salvation. And we're going to have a quick look at each of those. But let's just start quickly with the actual Greek word for salvation, sozo. It simply means to save, to rescue, or to deliver. All right. And the Bible uses this word in various ways. So in the New Testament, sometimes when you get sozo, it's referring to being saved from the penalty of sin, i.e. saved from the lake of fire. But it's used in other ways when it means something else, to be saved from something else. So we mustn't think that when it talks about being saved, it's merely from eternal judgment. We are saved from eternal judgment, but there are other things that we're saved from as well, which we're, we're, we're going to see. And so the thing is, whenever you get this word save in the New Testament, you've got to find out from the context what it's referring to. It may be referring to being saved from eternal judgment, but it might be referring to something else as well. <clears throat> okay, so let's start with justification. If you go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. So, past salvation, because this is something that's happened in the past, and it's what the Bible refers to <coughs> as justification. So, Romans 5, chapter, uh, verse 1, and then verse 9. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now what I want you to get here is that this terminology of being justified can you see it's purely past tense? Paul's saying, because you have been justified. Can you see? Now, the Greek word here, dikaiosis, it means to be declared right or declared righteous. So, in a court, if you were found not guilty, that would be it. You've been justified. Or, you know, sort of like, for instance, uh, you know, in America, if they, they shoot someone, you know, if a policeman kills someone in the line of duty, there's always an investigation. And uh, the language that the American cops use is, was the kill righteous? Can you see what I mean? So there's an investigation, and if, if the officer was deemed to have killed someone in the genuine, you know, doing his duty, then that would be a righteous kill. So he would have been justified in shooting whoever it was he shot. And so what we've got here <coughs> is Paul is saying you have been justified, you've been made righteous through faith. And the point is that this is past salvation because it's once and for all. Now, <clears throat> it's once and for all, firstly, because Jesus has already died on the cross. So remember, all this happened when Jesus died on the cross. So it's past salvation in that sense because it's through Jesus' death. But it's past salvation in another sense as well because Paul is here writing to believers. So if you are a Christian, you have already believed in Jesus. Can you see the point? 
So therefore this is past salvation for the reason that when you believe in Jesus as your saviour, when you repent of your sins and receive him as your saviour, immediately you are deemed by God to be righteous. Okay, <clears throat> And the way to think of, of it is this, justification, you've been justified by God, it's just if I'd never sinned. Can you see the point? God declares us innocent because Jesus died in our place, taking the punishment for our sin. And it's past salvation because it's once and for all. Jesus has already died. He'll never do it again. That's already happened in the past. And by definition, we've already believed in Jesus and therefore are justified. So in every possible way, this is past salvation because it's already happened once and for all it's a done deal and the thing to understand about justification this being made righteous declared righteous by God is that justification past salvation is freedom from the penalty of sin all right the penalty of sin so remember what's the penalty of sin well if we die okay in our sins eternity we're going to be separated from God so that is the penalty of sin eternal we will die physically and then be eternally separated from God now justification is that the moment we believe in Jesus God credits his righteousness to us all right and therefore, because we are in God's sight now righteous, when we die, we can go to be with him. So there you've got it. Justification, past salvation, is freedom from the penalty of sin. Once you've believed, that's over and done with. The moment you believe in Jesus, you are heaven bound. And nothing can change that because it's all past tense. Jesus has already died and you've already believed in him. And because you've believed in him and for no other reason at all, God declares you to be righteous before him. Therefore, you are going to heaven if you've believed in Jesus as your saviour and repented of your sin. So this is freedom from the penalty of sin. And just notice it's through Jesus' death was when Jesus died that he took our sins away. And this is what the Bible calls righteousness imputed. And to impute something means that you put it down to someone's account. So as I said earlier, it's like God took our sinfulness and he paid it into Jesus' account. And he takes Jesus' righteousness and he pays it into our account. So that the moment we believe in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to us. Therefore, God declares us innocent. We're justified. So what we're seeing is that this past salvation is freedom from the penalty of sin. It's through Jesus' death, because it happened when he died on the cross, and it's righteousness imputed. It's simply the righteousness of Jesus credited to our account 
and this therefore deals with God's judgment on us as sinners and the thing to understand about that is that the only judgment that God now has for us as sinners has already gone on Jesus you see the point Jesus died in our place so what that means is the moment that someone believes in Jesus they pass from death to life they will never experience God's judgment on them as sinners and therefore they'll never go to lake of fire the only people who will ever experience God's judgment on them as sinners will be unbelievers and it will be because they refuse to believe on Jesus can you see the point so that's justification past salvation but now <clears throat> we need to move on because we live in the present all right so yeah we've got the past but there's a present tense to salvation as well okay and if you go to 1 Thessalonians we always we already saw in that verse from 2 Thessalonians where Paul refers to the sanctifying work of the spirit <clears throat> and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 Paul says <clears throat> um, whoops, that's Colossians. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3 Paul says it is God's will that you should be sanctified and then in that particular context he says that you should avoid sexual immorality so he specifies a particular area of sinfulness but the point is He's saying it is God's will and he's writing to believers it's God's will that we be sanctified and then if you go back to Romans chapter 5 and in verse 10 he says for if we were God's enemies he sorry for if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life so what Paul says having been saved in one way through his death Paul refers now that we need to be saved in another way through his life and this is what sanctification is so what does sanctification mean the Greek word is hagiasmos and it means separation to God from evil so it means a process whereby we're taken away from everything which is godless everything which is against God and we're brought into the experience of everything that is godly everything that is of God so it's a separation that goes on in our lives as it were God separating us from the evil and the sin that is within us and this is where the word saint comes from okay a saint is a separated one and saint is one of the most commonly used uh, words in the New Testament for a believer a saint and the very definition of a believer is someone who's been separated out from evil and separated to God okay so there's a process going on here of separating us from evil to God and this is 
our present salvation because it's ongoing because it's moment by moment probably uh, the nice trendy modern word would be existential so the moment you're born again you've got past salvation bang that's a done deal ended all over but then for the rest of our lives down here we're living in the moment by moment existential experience of what the Bible calls sanctification and what sanctification is we saw that justification was being saved set free from the penalty of sin now sanctification is being saved being set free from not the penalty of sin that's a done deal we are free from that but it's the ongoing experience of being set free from the power of sin in our lives can you see the point because although the moment we were born again our sins were forgiven although the moment we were born again the righteousness of Jesus was imputed to us and so we can go to heaven because we're right with God nevertheless that doesn't change the fact that we're still sinners we're still sinful sin is still a reality in our lives and the process of sanctification is God as it were um, turning us into good children rather than bad children actually setting us free from the power of sin in our lives so that we increasingly live a godly life a holy life rather than merely living purely by our sinfulness as we did before we became Christians now we saw with justification that that was righteousness imputed through the death of Jesus but sanctification works slightly differently remember we saw just now in Romans 5.10 that he talks about being, being saved through Jesus' life and the point about sanctification is that it's righteousness not imputed that's something that God does that's a done deal sanctification is righteousness imparted now can you see the difference righteousness imputed was merely something God did in his own books in heaven as it were declared us righteous what we're talking about here with sanctification is actually becoming righteous you see the difference not righteousness imputed but righteousness actually imparted and the reason that it's a righteousness that's imparted or given to us is because it's not our own righteousness it's the very righteousness of Jesus so how come we can have and experience the righteousness of Jesus well justification was through Jesus's death but this sanctification is through Jesus's life ie he rose again from the dead he was resurrected he's alive and the moment we believe in him when we're born again he actually comes and lives in us we are one with Jesus Jesus lives in us so if Jesus lives in us everything that is Jesus's is in us because he's in us and that means that we have his righteousness because we're one with him and it's righteousness imparted 
because it's his righteousness not ours we can't ever of ourselves be righteous not in this life we're sinners but what we can do is experience the actual righteousness of Jesus and the way to think in terms of sanctification is raising kids it's child training because if you're a godly parent what do you want you want godly children so you raise them in it so that they experience discipline obviously they experience love but that the discipline is there in order to teach them the difference between right and wrong and to help ensure that they go with what's right rather than what's wrong and so what we've got here if justification dealt with God's judgment on sinners and we saw we'll never experience that because we believed in Jesus but this now this is a judgment that we do experience but it's God's judgment on us as sons and if you go to Hebrews 12 <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12 and we'll read 4 to 11 <coughs> he says in your struggle against sin you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and that was because Christians were actually being martyred here they were being given a chance renounce Jesus or we're going to kill you you know put you to the sword and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and now he quotes from the Old Testament my son do not make light of the Lord's discipline do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son endure hardship as discipline <coughs> God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes it then you are illegitimate children and not true sons moreover we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best but God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it and what the writer is saying there is that as we follow the Lord it is a life of difficulty and problems um, obviously there are times when things go wrong when things aren't as we want them to be and one of the ways that God sanctifies us is he actually engineers our circumstances so that he makes the things we don't want happen and the effect of this is you see when everything's going our way we're obviously the nicest people you'll ever meet aren't we you know clicking our heels and having a great time but when things go wrong that's when through our reactions we see the sin that God still wants to deal with you see the point so he engineers circumstances in exactly the same way that when you raise children you know you know you maybe say to your toddler no don't touch the plug 
don't touch the plug, all right? And you might even, every now and then, make sure that the toddler is aware that the plug is there. Because you want to train the toddler not to touch the plug. Can you see the point? Part of discipline is you're actually arranging circumstances so that your children have an opportunity to do wrong. And then, depending on whether they do or not, well, you know how to proceed, you see. But you're training them not to do it. Well, the point is that through the general experiences of life, difficulties, um, you know, I mean, you know, when, when we have problem resenting people, uh, you know, I mean, sort of God, God, he'll train us out of that one by bringing someone along we don't like. <laughs> and then saying, right, learn to love them. Can, can you see what I mean? Or, you know, sort of like if, um, you know, sort of like, you know, sort of God, God deals with, uh, you know, if you're irritable, he brings along annoying people like me. Can you see what I mean? And then he shows you that you shouldn't be irritable, you see. So it's for all the time God is arranging circumstances in order to show us through our reactions and that the sin that he wants to deal with us in us, uh, deal with in us. But the point is that when this is happening, and there are times as well when you, you know, you do become aware that God is actually punishing you. Maybe in the same way that your child has been disobedient and maybe they, they get a smack or go stand in the corner, whatever it is you do. And there are times when the Lord will, you know, I, I know there are times when I'm getting a good talking to by the Lord. Or even the times when he's, he's you know, sort of like setting me up for a snap, as it were. It happens. You get in a mess and you pay the consequences. You know, you make your bed and God makes you lie in it, if you see what I mean. And so you learn, you know, from doing wrong and the consequences, you learn that God doesn't want you to be doing wrong anymore and that we don't have to sin anymore. So what's the point? Because when we do, it only makes us unhappy. And so this is what sanctification is, that ongoing process of setting us free from the power of sin in our lives. But when we experience it, and it can be really tough as well. Uh, you know, some of the old divines used to refer to it as the dark night of the soul. But yeah, it's it's not easy following the Lord. And if we get rebellious and disobedient, he'll, he'll deal with us. But the point is that what he says is this is proof that God loves us. Because he's dealing with us as a father. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love us anymore and that we're going to lose our salvation or anything like that. It's the actual evidence that he loves us. And so we should expect this to find times as we're following the Lord when it's really hard and when it seems everything's going wrong. And when you think, oh, you know, why isn't God blessing me? Well, what that means is he's not blessing you in the way you want him to at that time, but he's blessing you in an even deeper way. He's withholding anything that you want in order to build character in us and, and, and to turn us into the people that he wants us to be. Okay, So that sanctification, that we are being set free from the power of sin in our lives. So we're seeing justification, past salvation, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. And that was through Jesus' death righteousness imputed judgment as sinners taken care of with sanctification it's present because it's going on all the time in this life and it's freedom from the power of sin in our lives and it's through Jesus' life because 
it's because he's alive he was raised again from the dead and he lives in us it's his righteousness not ours and it's more a question that he wants to get us out of the way dying to self so he can live through us so it's righteousness imparted his righteousness shared through us in our experience and this is a judgment that we undergo as sons okay so let's move on now to future salvation if you go to Philippians Philippians chapter 3 <clears throat> read verse 20 and 21 Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body now can you see he talks about there Jesus is going to come back one day all right in the future and he says we're awaiting a savior there's something we're waiting for Jesus to yet save us from all right and this is what future salvation is and here Paul says that it will be he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body go to 1 John 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 and John says dear friends now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears when Jesus comes back we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and can you see here this is talking about something that's going to happen in the future an aspect of salvation that is yet future and it's all to do with actually being like Jesus sharing his glory and the word glory okay is daxazo and it comes from dokio and it means to seem that's what the greek word it means to seem and it's it, it's the idea of how something appears so we say oh he seems to be ill or he seems to be happy or he appears uh, it's 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 what jesus is in his essence jesus has been glorified when he rose again from the dead he eventually he went back into heaven and he was glorified so the point was that having been a mere human being he went back to heaven got all his glory as God back because he is God but the difference is he hasn't stopped being a human being so the second person of the Trinity did not used to be a man did not used to be a human being but he became a human being an ordinary human being a real human being he's still a human being now but his glory as the second person of the trinity has been restored to him so there's an actual god man in heaven and we one day are going to share his glory all right and this is future salvation because this begins this process begins to happen 
either you're either going to die or it's going to be at the rapture when Jesus comes back now the vast majority of believers they're going to die go to heaven before the rapture happens but there'll be a generation of believers alive at the rapture and it will happen to them then but the point is this is future salvation because it's something that's going to happen when Jesus comes back and what we're talking about here is that it's not merely freedom from the penalty of sin not merely freedom from the power of sin in our lives but it's freedom from the very presence of sin that one day when we die or when Jesus comes back we're going to actually be set free from the presence of sin because the New Testament teaches that our sinful nature resides in the body and that when we die and go to be with the Lord we don't take our bodies with us therefore the sinful nature isn't there anymore all that's left is us the new nature in Jesus so what we're talking about is that a time is going to come in our future when we won't actually be sinners anymore we will be absolutely free of sin now this is all by the grace of God this is all the gift of Jesus it's nothing to do it doesn't come from ourselves at all but a time is going to come when we're not going to be sinful we will not be sinners anymore in fact we're actually going to be glorified like Jesus and the point is that this freedom from the presence of sin freedom from the penalty of sin was through Jesus's death our ongoing freedom from the power of sin in the here and now was through Jesus's life but this coming event this freedom from the presence of sin is going to be by Jesus's return so it's going to be when he comes back for the church at the rapture that it's ultimately going to happen and what's going to happen then is we will be glorified just like Jesus so all those who are alive at the rapture they, they will be transformed and have glorified bodies like Jesus there and then the rest all the believers who have died and are in heaven when the rapture happens they come with Jesus and they get their glorified bodies at the same time and what this is going to be in us is that it's not going to be righteousness imputed and it's not going to be righteousness imparted that is going to be righteousness perfected we are going to be just like Jesus because these bodies will have gone so our sinful nature will be gone and we're actually going to have a glorified body like Jesus's we will be sinless having been sinful in our natural state then we're going to be sinless we're going to be just like Jesus now one proviso we will never be divine of course we can't ever be divine Jesus is divine if you're not God you can't become God but everything that Jesus is he will share with us so that we will be glorified in exactly the same way that he is and then the other thing that's going to happen in regards to our future salvation is that there's going to be a judgment on us in the future now we've seen judgment on us as sinners well that went on Jesus on the cross no worries there in the here and now we are being judged 
disciplined as sons, as God's children. Obviously, when we die, because we're not sinful anymore, there won't be anything of that. But there is going to be a judgment in the future. And the Bible says that one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what that is going to be, it's going to be a judgment on us as servants. And what it's going to be is this. It's not going to be a judgment in any way exposing what we've done wrong. What the Bible teaches is that obviously we're his sons, but we're also his servants. We are meant in this life to be faithful to Jesus, to live in obedience to him. Now, the point is, at the judgment seat of Christ, what you've got to imagine is like, um, you know, it says that the, 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 the wood, hay and the stubble will be burned up, but everything, the, the gold, silver and precious stones will remain. And what it's a picture of is this. When I get to the judgment seat of Christ, anything that Jesus has done through me, he wants to reward me for. You see, God is no man's debtor. Now, here and now, Jesus lives in us. A lot of what we do is just us, us doing it in our own strength for him. Well, that's wood, hay and stubble. That won't last the test for eternity. That will all be burned up. But to the extent that we are being truly faithful and that he is able to accomplish his will through us. To that extent, although that is him doing it, it, the righteousness is not coming from us, it's coming from him. But to the extent that he's able to do that, he's nevertheless doing it through us. And God is no man's debtor. So there's a sense in which God considers that he's borrowing us in order to do good work through us. And because he's no man's debtor, even though it was him doing it and not us, he nevertheless wants to reward us, as it were, for having let him do it through us. Can you see the point? So everything in our lives down here that has been the Lord working through us because we're being faithful to him, then when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that is the work that we're being judged for. So everything that was just us in our own strength will be burned up. But everything that was him through us, he wants to reward us for. All right. And it seems that the reward, because when Jesus does actually come back, he's going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. There's going to be a millennium of Jesus reigning from Jerusalem over the earth. And he is going to be wanting us, the church, in our glorified bodies to be sharing that rule with him and the extent of the rewards we get at the judgment seat of Christ will determine the amount of authority that each one of us is given during the thousand year reign of Christ as we reign for, uh, with him uh, over the world and so there can you see these different aspects of salvation past present and future and what I'm going to do now these last three paragraphs at the bottom I'm just going to read them slowly read through with me but this should get it in your heads and then of course because you can take these away you can go over it some other time so let's sum it up all right and I'm just going to be reading out loud what's written down here
through Jesus' death, the sin problem is dealt with. And his righteousness credited or imputed to the believer. We are therefore justified before a holy God, i.e. declared righteous, justified, never sinned. And we are saved, therefore, from the penalty of sin. This is past salvation in that it occurs when someone believes on the Lord and it becomes, therefore, a once and for all, never to be repeated historical event in our lives. This is the answer to God's judgment on us as sinners. Because Jesus lives in the believer, his own indwelling life and holiness is therefore imparted and shared. He actually lives through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. To the extent that we daily surrender to him in death to self and sin, we are separated to God and from our sinfulness, our sinful natures being controlled and overridden by the new nature within us. The result is the believer being systematically saved from the power of sin, this being an ongoing thing. Hence, it is present salvation, a continuing moment-by-moment -moment process. This is God's fatherly disciplinary judgment on us as sons. Lastly, at the Lord's coming, both those believers who are already in heaven, along with those who are alive when it happens, will be given glorified bodies like Jesus, which do not have a sinful nature. At this future time, we shall have been saved even from the presence of sin, being then destined to spend eternity in a newly created universe that will have never known sin, rebellion or evil of any kind. This will be by Jesus' return and we shall subsequently be perfected in every possible sense of that word. It is therefore future salvation. Our works will also be assessed in heaven after the rapture, this being God's judgment on us as servants. So, there you have it, light of salvation, past, present and future. So a quick kind of overview of uh, salvation.